different like video music. Christ lives. It's in his powerful name we pray. Amen. 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 Can we just thank those guys for leading us in worship this morning? Yeah. As you're doing that, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. If uh, you are uh, new with us, my name is Chad Poe. Or if you were here last week, my name is Chad Poe. Uh, we had uh, Bruce Baker preaching in my stead. He is uh, related to one of the members of our church. He is also a fantastic preacher. I listened to his sermon, and I'm not going to have him back. So, Colossians... <laughs> Chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 16. Question, as you're getting there. I posted on social media last night after I had tried to interact with some friends about this very idea. Imagine you've been kidnapped. And the character from the last television you sh show that you happened to watch... Is who you are depending upon to save you. Who's coming in for the rescue? So if you do not interact with this very official poll, I want you to think through who that person may or may not be. And I'm going to give you some of the recurring things that I found. Uh, one, I realize that there are people here who love hospital shows. Every single one of them. Uh, between ones that are the age of ER and Grey's Anatomy, which is also the age of ER, uh, we have lots and lots of hospital show people. But there were other things that I found. The primary categories I noticed were shows where heroes would come and rescue you. Heroes like The Flash, Rick Grimes and Daryl Dixon from The Walking Dead, Hoda and Kathy Lee from The Today Show. There's a category of reality television stars who would be coming in for the rescue. The Great British Baking Show was kind of popular. Say yes to the dress. You're done for, people. There is the category of people who were already being held captive by their children who were watching shows on Nickelodeon and Disney Junior. And then there are those of us that are hopeless watching Parks and Recreation and The Office. <laughs> who saves you? Who comes in for the rescue when there is a rescue that needs to be made? If you have your worship guide, feel free to open that. And, and there are some, some guide. There's a guide for you through today's sermon. When your identity is that you were saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus, you are therefore freed from having to identify through anything else. One more time, though I trust that you're reading along. When your identity is that you were saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus, you are freed from having to identify through anything else. When we get to Colossians chapter 2, we see Paul dealing with an issue in the church. And the issue that is there is there are some who believe that salvation is an idea that is magnified by action. And he has already dealt with, at the church of Galatia, the fact that there are some who want to add to who Jesus was. 
And Paul, in the words of Barney Fife, who may have been your rescuer, wanted to nip this in the bud. And he says this to us in Philippians or Colossians chapter 2, picking up in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or, or a new moon, or, or the Sabbath. These are the shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to these regulations do not handle do not taste do not touch referring to things that all per- referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity in the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh The first thing we see is in verse 16 and 17. That is the purpose of rituals. Now hear me say this. What takes place in the Old Testament has a purpose. And the things that the Judaizers were attempting to throw everything back to from the Old Testament, it comes from a place that was important at one point and had a design. And as we look at these rituals, here's what we see with them. The premise of these rituals, as we consider these various ideas. One, we see that as we evaluate these, that there were these Jewish dietary laws. That you didn't eat this or you didn't eat that because you believed that there was a Savior who was coming. If you were a Jewish person who comes from that background, certain animals were considered unclean and other animals were considered clean. Today, we have freedom to eat anything. There are verses that tell us that. 1 Timothy 4, 3 through 5. Jewish festivals, holy day of the holy of the new moon. 1 Chronicles 23, 31 through 32. We see the idea of the freedom to eat because of what Jesus has done. Jesus has freed us to eat everything. Keto frees us to eat nothing. Live in that reality, people. So... You look and you see that these various things that are taking place have a purpose. But that purpose does not find its fulfillment in the action itself. It finds its fulfillment in who these things are taking place to prepare us for. We also see these concepts in these 16 and 17. The idea of the Passover, the idea of the tabernacle, the idea of Pentecost. New moon's a phrase that's used many times by Paul. This was the start of the Hebrew month when the moon passed between the earth and sun and would become invisible or it will become a narrow crescent. This was a monthly observance and it included sacrifices and trumpets. The Jewish Sabbath day is where we get the concept of Sabbath. But there were many that were observed according to the Old Testament system. 
But Paul deals with people who, for whatever reason, are trying to tie new Christians to what God had done in the past. And he actually used this language of a shadow of things to come, yet the substance is in Jesus. I would think at some point in most of your lives, someone has planned a surprise party for you. I don't know if you're a surprise person or you're not. But there is a really popular thing that happens on birthdays where you turn into round numbers like 20 or 30 or 40. And they use different color balloons for 20 like green and then red for 30 and then black balloons for 40 for whatever reason. And we have these surprise parties where everyone works together to make sure that the party takes place. Yet the person who's coming... He doesn't know, or she doesn't know. But when they get to the party, it becomes very obvious that all of these things have been done for their sake. And when that person gets there, there's no longer walking around in the dark. There's no more whispering. There's no more leave the cake alone, little kid. None of these things happen anymore because the reason that you're celebrating is there. When Paul talks to us in the book of Colossians about all of these Old Testament rituals that had rhyme and reason, the reason that they had that was because of who was coming for people to celebrate. And they find their complete fulfillment in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the reason that we celebrate. So everything that we see according to these dietary laws and new moon festivals and various Sabbaths of the Jewish people, they do not apply to New Testament Christians because we are not waiting for the arrival of Jesus. Jesus is in our midst. All of these things have been fulfilled in Jesus. The goal of our worship is Jesus. The point of our reverence, verses 18 and 19, the reason that we would worship is so that we would delight in Jesus. So Jesus has brought us here to this place where we can see Him and celebrate Him without any restrictions from the outside world. Yet when we meet with Jesus, He lets us know everything that exists, exists for me. A recurring theme through the gospel, through the book of Colossians is that all things were created for Him and by Him. That things exist. You, me, all of us exist for the sake of Jesus. 18 and 19. Let's read together. Let no one disqualify you Insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels. Going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by your sensuous mind. And not holding fast to the head. From whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So... Paul sees new Christians that have come to faith in Jesus who are being told by Judaizers who would also call themselves to be Christians, hey, I know you've got Jesus, but you need to add this to him to really make it work. This will make Jesus click for you. For some it's circumcision, for others it's various things that you would eat or drink. And Paul says, when we begin to disqualify others in this way, we have missed the point. We are crowning the wrong king. We all remember 
a couple of years ago when Steve Harvey was celebrating a pageant and he was it was a Miss America and he decided that he was going to or it was Miss Universe and when he was crowning Miss Universe he called out the wrong name and then we all created memes that we shared for the next three to four years even when no one knew what it meant anymore like it seemed to right now it's the idea of crowning the wrong thing and what Paul says when we have made faith in Jesus about the wrong thing. About our actions as opposed to his action. That, we, that we've missed it. Asceticism is this idea of humility. It's a false humility that Paul is really referencing here among the people at Colossae. Uh, and the reason for that is they believed if they would remove joy from their, for their, from their lives completely. Joy gone. And they would give themselves a strict list of rules that they obeyed. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to white knuckle grip these rules. That God would be pleased with them. So their thought was that you could find joy by removing joy. The concept that they were wrestling with is that if I do all of these things correctly, then God will be pleased with me. Yet, God's a big fan of joy. We look at the Gospel of John and we see that in chapter 2, Jesus goes to a wedding. You've heard of this story? Just thinking through, say yes to the dress some more. And when he shows up at the wedding, the wine gets gone. And Jesus' mother does what mothers do. Hey, can you do anything about this? He calls her woman, which probably got him in trouble. <laughs> then Jesus turns water into wine and they celebrate it at the end and they say you saved the best for last to the guy who's over the party wine in the New Testament is synonymous with joy so the presence of Jesus gives joy, it is inferred there in the, in the gospel of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus uh, talking to Simon Peter, who does everyone say that I am, well some say that you're this some say you're that, and Peter stands up and says but you are the Christ the son of the living God, and then Jesus says, joy to you Simon son of John this was not something revealed to you by flesh and blood you didn't work for this, you didn't attain this, God showed this to you the idea of God interacting with us, working in us, moving through us, being joy. Why in the world would we want to remove joy when Jesus says, that's what I bring? That's what I bring. You look and you see this as well with the text. You see some ideas that are very popular for us when we begin to ask questions about the faith of others and those questions can range from... They can range from a, a number of things. A popular one is, Well, Chad, I know they don't believe what I believe, but they seem to be really sincere. Even when someone is sincere, they can be sincerely wrong. 
True humility, as we look at this text, is confidence properly placed. Jesus tells us we can approach God's throne boldly. But the church at Colossae was dealing with being puffed up. You see that phrase here. Puffed up in verse 18. It's almost as if, if I were to hold a balloon and I were to blow it up and not tie it. Filling it with something that if it were not stopped, would empty. Or I could fill it with water and no matter how long the balloon sat there, it would be full. As long as I held it there. What Jesus is saying through Paul to the church at Colossae is, so many of you are filling up your walks of faith with things that will empty themselves because they're based in you and not me. Is our experience the basis for how we define truth? 18, go the other with me. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels... And going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by my sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So Jesus, as he addresses us through Paul here, talks about holding fastly to him. Firmly to Him. And the way that we do that is by seeing Scripture for what it is. That God has chosen to breathe to us Himself. That God would say, This shows you Jesus. There are some who like to say, I don't care what the Bible says, I know what I felt. One of my favorite pastors says this, your feelings are not God. God is God. Your feelings do not define truth. His word defines truth. So for the believer in Jesus, God's spirit is alive in you. And because his spirit is alive in you, he's never going to lead you in a way that contradicts what his word teaches. We have to learn to believe even when it contradicts how we feel. Uh, N.T. Wright, theologian, who I happened to see in the Dallas airport the other day and tried to chase down. He's from Britain. He's super spry. And I even looked in all the places they would sell hot tea or fish and chips. And I could not locate him. It says, learning to believe what doesn't at the moment feel true is an essential part of being a Christian. One more time for those in the back. Learning to believe... What doesn't at the moment feel true is an essential part of being a Christian. Now there is a problem with being right for the wrong reason. And I think that the people at Colossae were super informed. Most believe that. They were so informed that they transitioned from an over-observance of pagan gods, some of which tried to over-observe the rituals and rules of Judaism. 
And when that's where we land, we begin to rely on things like how quick we are. If someone disagrees with us, we have a snappy comeback. If someone has a point of view that we do not agree with, we research and research and research so that we can dumb them and numb them. We do things over and over for the sake of disqualifying any adversary that we could have. This in itself is operating outside of Jesus. Jesus did not die for you to be brilliant. He did not die for your witty comebacks. He did not die for your ability to look up good resources. He did not die for how quickly you can Google. He did not die for how well you can articulate your arguments. He did die for the pride which puffs every one of those things up and crowns the wrong thing in all of these areas. 19, again, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Holding fast to Jesus. Jesus seems to be his biggest fan. So hold on to me. Cling to me. Come after me. And when things tempt you, don't forget that I'm worth more. It's the old touch the car contest. Have you ever seen that? Where a business wants to tell you how great they are. So they have a group of people who enter. 100 of them gather around a Volkswagen Beetle. They place their hand on the car. And as they place their hand on the car, the owner of the, of the company comes out with various temptations trying to get them to leave the car. I'll give you $400 if you'll just leave the car. We've seen the same idea on Survivor. As people hold on to a totem after they've not eaten for about 74 days. While they hold on to this, the Jeff Probst comes out and he offers you all of the good things that life provides like peanut butter and chocolate. And when he does, tempting people hundreds and thousands of dollars to walk away, yet they know clinging on to that thing is worth more in the end. Jesus says, cling to me, hold to me, run with me, trust me. When everything comes at you from every direction to say that I'm not worthy enough, I say that I am and hold fast. How do we hold fast to Jesus? We hold fast to Jesus by being in relationships where Jesus is primary. We hold fast to Jesus by realizing that when we pray, it is very important, even essential, not to go into that with no thought in mind as to what we're going to pray for. We use scriptures to guide us. We go in and we hold fast to Jesus by being people who read through what this says and take it to be true. And we evaluate it with other scriptures to see what God is seriously saying to us about the Messiah. Holding fast to Jesus. The last thing that we see in the passage is the the danger of rules. Which is a detour from Jesus. Again, I said the Galatians have been drawn into Judaism. And Paul did not want that to happen to the church at Colossae. So super religious, super smart people there had realized that their pagan gods were not sufficient. And there was a strong possibility that the same people would dig into a super smart, super minutia driven faith. 
and the knowledge that they, had, that they gathered, the things that they learned would puff them up. And if they were puffed up by these new rules, this may cause them to overrun and misunderstand Jesus. Therefore, they have, they have traded worldly depravity for spiritual depravity. Because spiritual depravity is when those who claim to follow Jesus live as if anything else is better. Rules, even though they are good and helpful, outside of relationship, will wreck your spiritual life. Rules without relationship, they lead to rebellion. And Paul says to us in verse 20, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? If Jesus has freed you, why do you keep trying to trap yourself by your behavior? Keep trying to redeem yourself through actions that could not redeem you to begin with. Paul even goes so far to say, Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism. Puffed up. Worked up. Making yourself into Jesus. And they are damaging to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Abstaining from anything in an attempt to gain God's favor feeds your sin nature rather than starves it. Again, for any of us to make decisions where we would abstain from something because we believe that God would find favor in us feeds our sin nature. It puffs us up. Yet we look at what Christ has done on the cross and we see that our hope is not in our actions because our actions were futile to begin with. Our hope is in what he has done in our place. One of the gospel writers, Luke, gives us a, a parallel, shows us a story of what takes place really when people just can't make their mind up. They struggle to see and, and know and acknowledge this truth that none of us are ever happy with anything. So whatever we don't have, we're trying to find our happiness in that. The Pharisees come to Jesus. The Pharisees, who some of these very ideas had bled into Galatia, bled into Colossae. They went to John the Baptist in Luke 7, or in the, in the Gospels. And Jesus says about John the Baptist, John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, this guy has a demon. But the Son of Man, he's come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and a friend of sinners. When we are overly religious, we struggle to find our satisfaction in either. Wherever we are, we want to be where we're not. Jesus closes that portion of Luke and says real wisdom is justified by all our children. 
Real wisdom is holding fast to the head. Real wisdom is clinging to Jesus. Real wisdom is not allowing things to become more important to us than Jesus. Real wisdom is Jesus at the center, Jesus at the core, Jesus as our source for all life and breath and everything else. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Are we clinging to Jesus? This morning I invite you just to bow your heads kind of where you are. The band's going to sing. I'm not sure what you're trying to find your value in. I'm not sure what you're adding to your relationship with Jesus, but the odds are that you are because the odds are that most of us are. Though we have a head knowledge that Jesus Christ is, is our only hope, we keep trying to do and try and be things that we cannot do nor try nor be. And Jesus would say to us, Stop. Hold to me, cling to me, lean on me, trust in me, be directed by me. Because you cannot do this. You need me. You need me. If you're here and you are struggling to live as if Jesus is all that you need, then please let us know in whatever way is most comfortable for you filling out the card that you were given when you walked in, leaving a note in the offering box. We'll, we'll, look, we'll look at that. Texting myself or Jared or one of our elders throughout the week. Our hope is to help, is for all of us to be people who streamline our lives so that Jesus is obviously at the center. So God, we trust you this morning and as we sing to you, as we hear from you, as you're as you speak to us, let us just be grateful for how you care, how you love, how you say to us, we don't have to lean on other things. We can lean on you. We ask all this in your powerful name. Everyone stands together so that we can 